Welcome back to Weird Careers. I'm Eric. And I'm Danny. All over the world, people have jobs. And some of those jobs we don't even know exist. There are professions that we don't know much about. And there are jobs that aren't, let's say, dinner table friendly. Well, we're here to explore all of that on this year's podcast. We will be interviewing workers from all over the world about their strange and interesting jobs. That's right. Everything from specialized retail to sex work. Plus, everything in between and outside of set box. Oh, and if you're not already, please make sure that you are accompanied by an adult for this podcast. It can get spicy. Throughout the course of this series, we will take a deep dive into each and every career we stumble upon. Do you think that you have an interesting job? Maybe you do. Maybe your neighbor does. Maybe your best friend or your weed dealer. Okay, maybe not that last one. But if you do, stay tuned to the end of the show on how to get a hold of us. On today's episode, we have Dave Bosch, who is a land surveyor. Dave, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Oh, no, well, I'm glad to have you on. Glad to be here. So what is your job? Uh, well, my job is, uh, it's a very di- difficult job to explain. Um, basically, what it is, is I find the historical boundary of a property, or I will create a boundary for a property that has not yet come into existence. And um, with that boundary, I take into account um, the relationship to other boundaries and other uh, features near the boundary. It's, It's a very difficult and cryptic explanation but it'll all make sense in the end i was gonna say let's let's uh let's let's break this down and i think by breaking this down we'll be able to get to the nitty-gritty of exactly what it is you do so we're talking about boundaries borders and stuff like that so is there so what kind of ways are you uh marking that you're finding well as a land surveyor we have to act a little bit like a historian uh, many of the boundaries have been created uh, well before the existence of Canada itself, uh, when it was still in, in a colonization era. Oh, wow. uh, and so the boundaries were created back then using uh, oak posts right down the center of a roadway, for example. Oh, cool. And uh, what, what happened then was due to budgeting, it was just run one line. And then people would have to create their own boundary based off of a description that was given to them. So they, so for example, from this post, you need to go due west 500 uh, feet and then go another thousand feet south, for example. Oh, interesting. And then make another 90 degree angle and head back towards the road, as an example. That's cool. That is cool. What quite often happened was people didn't uh, design those boundaries correctly back then. Um, it, they were usually be, being done by farmers and stuff. Their angles were not 100% correct. It's supposed to be a 90 degree angle. They get 88, whatever the case may be. So they're not 100% correct. Now it's up to us to try and recreate the 
boundary the way it was originally intended mm-hmm. without hindering the people that are already using the land. So, for okay. example, if they're already using the land and they're holding, um, for example, um, the sheer face of a rock cliff mm-hmm. as a boundary, and we try to use that in our boundary creation or reestablish reestablishment of a boundary, I should say, um, as that is already being held as a boundary line. There are some rules that I have to follow and and rules that govern the survey world to make that work. And it it's nothing as easy as a rule book. So it doesn't always work the way we want it to, but we try and make it work equitably for everyone. Uh That's what I meant. What I that's what I meant by saying. Uh, we work on boundaries, but we also are affected by other boundaries. Of course. So other, so yeah, that kind of leads right into my next question. So the, the, the you need to know, obviously, uh, history that predates uh, Can- the Canadian borders that we that we know today. Uh, what other history uh, do you need to know for what you do? Well, there is a point that they call the the. the the uh, boundary creating event. And um, we try to uh, recreate the history back to the point where that boundary creation event happened. But sometimes we also need to find the boundary creation event for other boundaries that are adjacent to it that are affected by it. Mm. So we act as a historian and recreating all that information by looking back in previous documents. And then we go and act as um, um, in private investigators, so to speak, out in the out in the actual field, and we look for um, survey markers from us or other surveyors that have came in the past that may be left behind. They can be anything from square iron bars to cut stone monuments, concrete monuments on roadways. Wow! There are uh, probably about a dozen different ways of establishing uh, a property corner or a marker. Uh, How are all the measurements determined then? Um, What used to happen was they would say from a certain distance from a center of a city or from the corner of a a county, for example, Mm -hmm. they would go out a certain distance every, um, depends on where you were, but it could be every 100 meters, they put an oak post in, and then they would say on a 90 degree angle, you go this much distance, and then a 90 degree angle, you come back this much, and then 90 degree angle this much, and then 90 degrees back to the point of origin. So you create a box. Right. Now, the boxes are supposed to be square, but more often they're trapezoidal because of the technology that was used at the time, if any at all. Uh, farmers would tend to walk in a certain uh, direction but they got to clear cut the forest themselves to uh, run that line because the surveyor didn't do that so you know you you avoid a tree you go a little bit off angle and now all of a sudden everything's out of whack so with the technology we use now using gps and um, prisms with lasers and uh, uh, accurate uh, compass bearings etc we can reestablish that pretty darn close to what it's supposed to be 
but whether we should or whether we shouldn't is a is a big story because if somebody's already been using something for the last 500 years, 200 years, 100 years, even if it was only 20 years, they've been using this for that amount of time. Who are we to call it um, wrong? Um, exactly, it, yeah. it, it depends on how it was created at the time. Was it created by another surveyor that didn't have the accurate equipment? Mm. Should we call them wrong? Or should we um, accept what's there and put in um, uh, another safe survey plan that, that says there is a variance on this property due to evidence found? Hmm. Now, the evidence can be, doesn't even have to be done by a surveyor. It could be as easy as a, um, a, an old snake rail fence or um, a, a line of trees that was planted on the property line. So we've got to play a historian, but we've also got to play um, basically um, somebody familiar with uh, nature in such a sense that we can dis we can distinguish between the age of a tree, what kind of tree. Some plans used to say there was an oak tree on the corner uh, of the property. And so you need to be able to distinguish between an oak tree and a maple tree, for example. Hmm. There's a lot that's involved in it. So you are talking. So looking at a map of Canada, for example, you can see you know Saskatchewan has straight borders. Uh, the border dividing the territories and the provinces is not on a specific longitude. I want to make sure that's the right one. And but then there are some borders where you can look at. Let's uh, take Ontario and Quebec, for example, where it's not a straight line, where it is very jagged. What would determine? Uh, a border that would be like a straight line and something jagged like that? Well, I'm going to take that one step further. Ooh. Anybody that goes on to Google Maps, uh, Google Maps is a great place to go and look at properties. Take a look at part of England. Um, a lot of our survey law and, and, and rules come from England at one point in the days of uh, when England was first being colonized. Um, so what happened there, if you look at the properties, they can be um, odd shapes. They can be um, at 45 degree angles or 30 degree angles to one another. And then you come and look at Ontario and Quebec, areas of Canada that were first colonized. Um, and then you go and you work your way further and further towards the, uh, the West. And you notice that the lines start getting straighter. Mm -hmm. What we've done is we've actually started using survey rules based off of properties that were already in existence. A farmer comes in and they take a, a chunk of land, and you know, um, the the England gets conquered by someone, and then they come in and say, "Okay, I own this land, and you guys are now using this land of of mine, and we'll draw up." your uh, your uh, your parcel of land on and you get whatever shape it is hmm. and the colony started and then you get a, a haphazard collection of people trying to collect a piece of land and, the, and then the the um the english um lords of the time decided no we're going to try and make this a little bit simpler 
So they run that line of, of oak posts and they say, you get a chunk that's this and you get a chunk that's that and you get a chunk that's that. You've got to go and clear it all and, and make it something of worthwhile. You don't know what you're getting. You've never been there. You could be getting a piece of, uh, of rocky uh, land that's not good for farming, but you bought it for farming. You may end up with something that's 90% lake. You never know. Oh. And then as they progressed further and further west, they decided, we're going to try and make this simpler. We're going to say that every, pro uh, every chunk, we're going we're to mark these out. We're going to spend a little bit more money on it. We're going to try and do this a little bit more accurately. Every part, uh, piece of land is going to be a thousand acres in size. And it's this much by this much. And then we divide it up from there. Oh, and then okay. we divide it further and further. And everything becomes square. And that's why you'll find that the further west you go, the straighter things got. Oh, we, we, learned from our, we learned from our mistakes. <laughs> and we, we try to make it better. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> What's an average day look like if one exists? What, and what is the most important thing you have to do in a day? Besides getting up and forcing yourself to go to work, which is not a problem. This is a very exciting field, so that's usually not a problem. Um, so I, I do a lot of traveling. Um, now, the, uh, the, depending on the company you work for and what kind of surveying you do, you could be staying local, you could be traveling all over the place. Um, now, I've traveled all the way up to um, the Tobamori area and Ottawa area, and I've stayed at... Um, camping resorts doing surveys there and I worked my way all the way down to uh, Windsor and Sarnia doing things as simple as a park or a, or a house that's being built on an old existing property every day can be something entirely different that's true and the the things you will see when you go to some of these places can be drastically different I've been to um, a, a, a residential property that was um, um, an old burned down house and there's nothing there it makes it really simple you can set up your equipment and you can see everything very simply um, I've been to farmers fields where um, the the Jersey cows decide uh, you're an interesting person to come and visit and they'll come over and they'll they'll come and uh, nestle up right up against you and and um, and and, and you know, lick your uh, your elbow. <laughs> what the heck you are, and what you're doing there? Like, uh, you could have any number of things on a, on a daily basis. Cool. Uh, it makes life very interesting and very exciting from time to time. I can imagine. It really sounds like it. Anyway, uh, right now we are going to take a quick break to have a message from our sponsors. So don't turn that dial. We'll be right back. Are the big corporations taking your sales with fancy images that just aren't in your small business budget? Not to worry. At Cardinal Images, they take everything to heart. Cardinal Images is a small business supporting small businesses, so they get it. Check out cardinalimages.ca for their gallery and contact info. Also, if you're a listener of this podcast, you will receive not only your demo images, but... Your first shoot absolutely free. Just email eric at 
cardinalimages.ca with the subject line podcast promo to receive your free shoot today. Cardinal Images, affordable pricing, professional images, and personable photography. And welcome back. Thank you for not touching that dial. We are here with Dave Bosch, who is a land surveyor. So, Dave, welcome back. Thank you, and I'm glad to be back. (laughs) So, what can impact um, if you work that day? Like, if it's raining, can you still work, or do you just go in the next day? Um, As a land surveyor... Um, unlike most construction style work, uh, if it rains, most of them will stay in, or if it storms, they'll stay in. We tend to, uh, if, we'll tend to be out in pretty much any kind of weather condition. Oh, um, like, uh, one of the hottest days of the year, I was out in the back of a farmer's field looking for property bars that we had put in uh, about five years beforehand, uh, a fence was put up and they thought, I don't think it's in the right place. Can you go and check for me? Oh, boy. One of the hottest days of the year, checking those out. It was, it was easy enough to do, but um, some parts over five years had overgrown and made it a little bit more difficult. Oh, yeah, but a little we, bit. We were able to do it, though. I've been out and, uh, on a property, and you hear rumbling in the background, and you're like, well, now it's time to, de- to decide, do I try and get those last few shots, or do I pack up and prevent using a lightning rod in the air <laughs> with those kind of days you definitely call it quits um, oh for yeah. sure <laughs> <laughs> most of the time you know thunderstorms don't last so True. you're lucky you're able to go out there you're able to do some of the work um and then you take a break go for a lunch have a coffee whatever the case may be and then you go back out again well it's good that it doesn't like completely stop your day then it doesn't completely halt your progress mm-hmm. With most of the stuff that we do, um, unless it can uh, interfere with the uh, the lasers and the uh, the prisms that uh, reflect those lasers back to the optics, like a heavy snowstorm, okay, or heavy rainfall, yep, we're usually okay. And wow. um, you know, we we try we come equipped with you know raincoats and everything like that, and we we'll, we can work in pretty much anywhere. Cool. Doesn't necessarily mean we will, but we could. Um, if we got oh, deadlines, yeah, <laughs> we'll try to, mm-hmm. but there are times when it's like, yeah, this weather is just too uncomfortable, too unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Why don't we just work on some of the paperwork that's involved in the, in the work that we're doing and yeah. go back a, a little bit later. Nice. So we've talked about some provincial borders. We've talked about some international borders. Let's kind of zoom in on that map. Uh, so talking about like city zoning now, does that, no, those are, those are kind of a little bit, we're not, not just like municipal borders. We're talking about borders within borders to do those, uh, city, does that city zoning affect what you do? Um, well, yes and no. Um, the city decides what zones they're going to create and we will, uh, we will, uh, create the boundaries regardless of what the zone is. Oh. Um, the only effect it really has on us is the amount of um, survey markers we need to put in. Inside a city, if it's considered inside a city, 
the we have a law that will tell us well, we've got to have one every uh, 300 meters, for example, oh, okay. or uh, every 150 meters, mm -hmm. depending on what the municipality requests may alter it. But usually it's like 300. And if it's uh, rural, it's it could be different still. Oh, wow. um, so that does affect us. Um, the actual creation of a property is not reflected by what kind of municipality or what kind of zoning it has. Okay. The topographics that we do, which is basically tying in the, what's the way to put that? Uh, basically the landmarks on top of the property's surface and how they relate to the boundary. So if there's a, a fence and how close it is to the boundary or um, a building or a shed, a driveway, a hydro pool, all those things we will um, we'll, we'll, uh, create a data point and we'll give that to engineers for their design of that property. Now they'll have more of an effect by what those zoning laws are. Mm -hmm. whether they can build a house or whether they have to build a factory or a store or, or something on that line, depending on their zoning laws. So we need to take that into account when we're uh, creating those data points for the topographics because we got to remember what they are going to need. But oh. other than that, it doesn't affect us as much. So that kind of leads perfectly right into my next question, which is, uh, you look at the topography, essentially you're looking at the geography of the areas that you're mapping out. Now, what does that information need? Why would a client need that information? Uh, let's say, um, for example, I mentioned earlier a house that burned down. Mm -hmm. Now, in order to put a new house up, you kind of need to know what space you have available. Okay. Yeah. Right? So if your uh, property is... 30 meters wide by 50 meters deep, you need to know that. Because mm -hmm. a 60 meter wide house isn't going to fit on a 30 meter wide uh, property, oh, for example. Sure. So you'll need to know the size of the property. Mm -hmm. You'll need to know where everything is on that property. Maybe the, the garage is still in great shape and you want to keep the garage, but you need to rebuild the house. Mm -hmm. um, some zoning bylaws state that you have to have a property that's no larger than a certain percentage of or a house that's no longer or no larger than a certain percentage of the uh, property size oh. but there are exceptions um, if you have an older home they may let you grandfather in the size of the property so it may be let's say it's it has to be five percent of the size of the property but the one that you had was seven they may allow you to go with seven you need okay. to verify that with the topographics. Now, if the house had burned down, you may not be able to shoot the, the exterior walls, but maybe there's still a foundation that can prove that 7%, for example. So we have to take all those little pieces of data, put it together so that an application be, can be put into the municipality for whatever you want to design on the property. Hmm. It also oh. is necessary to know where the water flows. Mm -hmm. you, you don't want the water flowing into your basement Do you all not no no and not particularly <laughs> no and you definitely don't want it flowing into your neighbor's basement because that'll probably be expensive <laughs> so that's interesting that's cool so we we get that information so that the engineer can design where the water is going to flow 
Mm -hmm. but it's not as simple as saying, okay, this uh, spot is at one meter higher than this spot. You also need to know what kind of material it is. Oh. For example, asphalt or concrete doesn't let water through as well as, um, for example, grass or sand. So if you were to design a property with a driveway in the front, then you'd need to know um, where that water is going to flow. Because that water is going to stay on the top. Whereas if it's grass next to the, uh, the, the, the driveway, an engineer may know that I'm going to give an arbitrary number, let's say 5% of that water per, per um, linear foot gets absorbed. Mm-hmm. So you know, over X amount of feet, that water is fully absorbed into the ground. I'm just guessing at whatever the percentages are. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's up to us to give them the information. We give them the tools to do their job. Mm-hmm. And once they've done creating whatever they need to do, we may get called back out to uh, to um, the site and say, okay, uh, we need to place this new building here. We need you to locate where this building corners are going to be so that the excavator can uh, dig out the hole and so that the concrete guys can come in and put in the forms in the right position and so that they can go and build from one step to the other. So then it falls back to us to place that stuff in the uh, proper position. So again, it's related to the boundary. Again, it's top of work, but it's sort of in the reverse order. What's your favorite part of your job? Well, um, I would honestly say my favorite part of the job is the unknown. I oh, never knew the unknown. Of course. It, it, it's, um, every, every day is like a treasure hunt. You go out to a site, you know that it's been surveyed before, you know that there were originally markers of a certain type, and you go out there and you look for things. And you may find things that previous surveyor didn't see. Mm-hmm. Um, you may find things that um, another surveyor that has came since has done, but you have no record of. And then you've got to go back and dig further into the, the legal documents and the files and contact other surveyors and find out what was done. So it, every, every day is a different thing. It's always changing. It's very fluid. Uh, it, it definitely stimulates the mind. You're always thinking, you're always you know, reinventing the, the wheel with whatever's going on around you. It makes the job so much more interesting than an average job. And I love it. That's awesome. I'm 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 glad that you're really passionate about passionate about what you do. Now, with that being said, obviously there is the flip side to that. What is the least favorite part of your job? Well, um, I would honestly say um, the the times that you have to deal with uh, <laughs> certain types of weather. That mm, that is definitely going to be the least pleasant part, mm-hmm. but. You can even make that work if, if you really want to. Like, there's a lot of paperwork involved in, in uh, doing survey work. Whenever you find stuff, you've got to do the mathematics and you got to write down um, how you've come up with your solution on paper. Usually it's a, a sketch with, uh, with, the, with the border uh, and uh, the, 
the adjacent borders around it on there. So you always can do that when the weather goes and uh, turns south on you, so to speak. So it's not always a bad thing because it gives you time to work on things that you kind of need the time for anyways. Now you True. have a for it. So there's really not that much of a downside. There's really, because it's really all, it's all coming up, Dave. <laughs> it is all coming up. <laughs> well, before we let you go, we, we just wanted to say, uh, give you a, a huge thank you for, for coming on tonight, even though we've rescheduled a few times to, to make this work. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with us today, Dave, and uh, talk to us about um, what it is to be a land surveyor. Well, not a problem. I'm glad I was able to uh, help uh, others learn what I do. And who knows, maybe somebody else might be interested in this, maybe a high school kid or a college kid might be looking at this uh, or listening to this podcast and think, you know what, that might be something for me. And we're always looking for people. And so um, if anybody wants more information, I'm more than happy to give it. Absolutely. Yes. If uh, you are looking for more information on be on any of the uh, careers on this podcast, please feel free to shoot either myself or Danny an email at weirdcareerspodcast at gmail.com. Now, Danny, over to you. What did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I was probably one of the uh, the geekiest kids growing up. I, uh, <laughs> I like many other kids of my age, um, you know, with uh, the space shuttle program and being as uh, predominant at the time as it was, I was always wanting to be an astronaut. Nice. I started reading Astronomy Magazine and Sky and Telescope Magazine when I was like eight years old. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I just never got into that. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of science involved when it comes to that. And there's like a lot of physical training too. I don't oh, blame absolutely. you for want, not wanting to get into it. I will say one thing. If anybody yeah. from NASA is listening to this podcast right now, I am willing to volunteer to be the first surveyor on Mars. There you go. There you go. I will, I will, I will uh, make a nice survey of Mars and have it all nicely partitioned out so they can just come in and sell off the, the little segments to whoever they want. Love it. All right, NASA, there it is. Dave Bosch, your first land surveyor for Mars. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much again, Dave, for coming on today's show. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. Do you have a cool or interesting job? You never know. Believe it or not, your 9 to 5 may be more interesting than you think. So don't be shy and shoot us an email at weirdcareerspodcast at gmail.com. Also, if you liked us, please give us a five-star review on wherever you're listening to us. It really helps us to get seen. Thanks for tuning in and exploring with us. We hope you will join us next time. And until then, I'm Eric. And I'm Danny. Cheers. Cheers.